tell you the purpose of your life is not just to get educated, get a job, make enough to retire, and then go home to be with the Lord. That might be some parts of life, but that is not the purpose of your life. You are not just another on an assembly line of humanity with no reason for being here. We need to know the hope and the riches and the power of Jesus. The Christian life means far more for us than a title or even where we'll spend eternity. Pastor Daniel tells us we need to realize what it really means and to get a grasp on it, we must pray for revelation. To some, this will remain a mystery, but to those who accept God's gift of grace and seek after the truth, the mystery is revealed. Once God opens the eyes of your heart, the Holy Spirit leads you to realize all that God's made available to you through His Son. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 18, with our continuing study entitled, Prayer in the Mess. You learn more about our culture by reading the comment section, and it can be an article on anything, politics, economics. Sports, I mean, there's a lot of people with a lot of information. You're like, does anybody have any good answers for the issues that are illing and and messing up our world? We live in a culture exceedingly educated, but short on true wisdom. A wisdom that pervades just a cultural moment. Paul's saying, look, pray for revelation. He wants the church in Ephesus to truly have a spirit of wisdom revelation in the knowledge of him the idea of the eyes of your understanding being enlightened literally in the greek it's the eyes of your heart think about your heart the the heart in our culture as in greek culture in the in the hebrew culture it was the bowels now when we think of bowels we think of something completely different but in their culture the bowels was the equivalent to the heart it's the control center of the human life it's the place where all of the information from your body, from your emotions, from your thoughts, and from God come together and decisions are made. So he's saying that the eyes of your heart may be given light. Oftentimes, we run to a lot of people for wisdom rather than one to the one person to whom wisdom is the default and resides. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have counselors. We know the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But the great counselor is God himself, the almighty one. And we need to pray for revelation. That idea of revelation, it's the Greek word apocalypsis. And you guys have heard me say this before. When you think of the word apocalypse, you think of the end of the world. But apocalypsis literally means the revealing, the unveiling. It means to open up a present and see what's inside. So the book of Revelation is not primarily about the mark of the beast and attack helicopters and plagues and stuff. It's the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is a book about Jesus. It's about his lordship and his reign and the rebellion of the world. So all these things are in there, but it's not the main point. So he's like, look, you want to have revelation. 
the unpacking, the unveiling, the looking inside the presence of who God is, that God will reveal himself to and in us. The most essential relationship we get to have in this world is a relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you want wisdom. You want understanding. You want revelation. And you know what? We do, don't we? Nobody ever got to the end of their days and said, I spent too much time learning about who God was. Have you ever met somebody at the end of the day who's like, yeah, I wish I didn't spend so much time fellowshipping with the Almighty God. They asked Billy Graham a couple years back if there's anything he regrets. And he said, yeah, I regret that I didn't pray as much as I could have. When was the last time you ordered your life based on all the things you wanted people to remember and know about you and talk about on your deathbed and then work its way back? Most often we just react to life rather than saying, this is who I want to be remembered as. This is my legacy. Because you know what's amazing? On my deathbed, I'm not going to be excited that I have seen reruns of every single episode of Criminal Minds. I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm putting my stuff out there for you. I, I mean, that's eye on television. It's on reruns. And it's a cool show. But sometimes I sit there and watch it. I think, you know what? When I get to the end of my days, I'm not going to be like, yeah, Lord, I knew every single episode. I was like a, almost an agent in the behavioral analysis unit for my understanding of that TV show. Like, I just see I can profile you. Yeah, you know? It's... It's entertainment, and there's nothing wrong with entertainment, but at your deathbed, I'm like, yeah, man, he was an expert on Criminal Minds, some TV show that they discontinued about 30 years ago, Lord willing. But if you think at the end of my days, I want to be remembered as a person who knew God, who was light in the world, who actually made, was an ordinary person who made a substantial dent in making this world a better place in Jesus' name. If that's how you want to be remembered, then you need to dial it back and say, this is how I'm going to live today. Because you never get there without having a vision to be there. I think about these athletes, and it's just amazing to me, the things they put their bodies through. You know, it's like they don't do the things that the average person does because they can't, because they're training for something. We all make trades in life, and that's why I believe this prayer for revelation is so important. We need to say, Lord, this, I need to know what you see my life as, how you want to use my life, not how I'm just letting it flow. We are not just going along with the current of life. We are choosing to go along with the current of life. And you can branch off at any time. So we need that revelation for the Lord to say, this is who I want you to be. This is how I want you to be. This is how I want you to impact the world. This is what I want you to lay down and what I want you to enjoy, just not so much or not with so much energy or so many resources. We need to pray for that revelation that we may know him and be conformed into his image. Now, look what happens in the middle of verse 18. There's this prayer for wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of our hearts being enlightened, having light to it. And then he says, notice, that you may know, the middle of verse 18, what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So here we're, we need to know the hope, the riches, and the power of Jesus. Know the hope, the riches, and the power of Jesus. There's three clauses here. 
Paul wants them to have wisdom and understanding and revelation that they may know these three things, hope, riches, and power. That you may know the hope of his calling. Think about that. God wants each one of us to know why we've been called and adopted. What's it all about? What the purpose of your life is. And I'm here to tell you, the purpose of your life is not just to get educated, get a job, make enough to retire, and then go home to be with the Lord. That might be some parts of life, but that is not the purpose of your life. You are not just another on an assembly line of humanity with no reason for being here. There's a hope in our calling. It reminds us of Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now catch this. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, God's calling, the hope of his calling is that God's going to place Jesus by his spirit in our lives and it's going to be worked out, permeating through an entire culture, an entire world. God's design for you and me is that Jesus, his perfect resurrected life will be lived through you as a homemaker or as a president of a company, as a teacher or as a sanitation worker, as an investment banker, or as a land developer, and as a middle school and high school student, and everything in between, Jesus in us, by his spirit, moving through the world, making the world a better place, and giving God glory the whole time. That's the hope of the calling. The hope of his calling is that God dwells in us and through us. But not only that, not only do we need to know the hope, this next clause pretty awesome, the end of verse 18, that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Think about what that says, that God has riches of glory in his inheritance in the saints. Do you know what that means? God's church, the people of God, God sees that as a rich inheritance. That changes the way we view church. It should. Look around this room. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you're golden. Say, I mean, and mean it. You're golden. Look at the person next to you and say, you're silver. You're God's riches and glory as an inheritance. When God looks at the people of God, he thinks, I have been totally hooked up with the most profound inheritance. Now, imagine you've got a rich inheritance. Everyone's like, uh, amen, Pastor Daniel, from your mouth to God's ears. God sees his people as the, a multi-billion dollar inheritance times infinity. God's inheritance is people, not stuff. Not just things that moth and rust can destroy, but people, living, breathing, human souls. Talk about an identity builder. God sees you as a rich inheritance, but not us as individuals, us as a corporate organism, the people of God. I remember when I first got saved, I had a low view of church. I'm like, oh, yeah, those church people, sinners. You know what's funny? I still feel the same way. Because you're all sinners and so am I. 
But God looks at us as broken sinners and says, that's my inheritance. I'm loaded. God sees the church not as a throwaway organization, something I just join every once in a while because I'm bored and I need some friendships. God sees the church as his inheritance in Jesus. So the next time you want to get negative on the church, and all of our culture will tell you how lousy the church is, we need to remember this verse, that this is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. Next time we have interpersonal conflicts amongst the body of Christ, and guess what? We always do. We always will. We're all porcupines. We all got little things, and we just poke each other from time to time. We have to remember that it's not about just, oh, I just got to find a better church. We are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance. God values you that much, not only as individuals, but together. But not only the hope and the riches, but verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Do you realize that there is an extraordinary power at work in our hearts in Christ? Do you realize that everything you need for life and godliness is not found in a new job or a new spouse or a new set of friends or the next book that's going to come out, even if one of your pastors were to write it? It's all there in Jesus for you. It's all there, all the power you need. Now, watch how he explains this power, because we move into verse 20. It says, at the end of verse 19, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He's saying the power that's at work in us, his riches of his glory and the inheritance in the people is the resurrection power and the ascension power that he worked in Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and had him ascend to return to his rightful place on the throne of God, that power is at work in us. Wow. Here's these two verses in two words for you. Jesus supreme. This is all about Jesus Supreme. Now I know you guys hear Jesus Supreme, you think of Nacho Supreme. Burrito Supreme. And I'm hungry too. But Jesus is Supreme. The power that was at work in Jesus, that he lived the perfect life, that he died, and he was risen from the grave. Not only was he risen to die again, but he was ascended into heaven and seated down at the right hand of the Father. Now listen, you have to realize that this is Christianity 101, right there. You read the book of Acts, their message was Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. Now I realize that in Christianity in the 21st century, we've kind of gotten bored of that. So everyone wants to say the church is about something else. The primary message is something else. No, that is the gospel message. Whatever we do because of that is not the gospel message. That's the gospel. Who this man Jesus is and what he has done. Now listen, I realize there's many people in here, in this room, in one of our other venues, watching online, watching this on YouTube or some other form of media later on. The big question is what have you done with Jesus? 
And if this man Jesus truly lived, truly died, truly rose again, and truly ascended into heaven, then you need to think about that. Because that reality changes everything. It's not enough to say, yeah, maybe he did, but what does that do for me? That does everything. Because when you put your faith and trust in God conquering sin and death, that changes who you are. That changes how you roll. That changes why you roll the way you roll. Because there is the resurrection and ascension power of God at work in the depth of your soul, changing you from the inside out. See, you live based on what you believe. You live based on what you value. Don't let anyone pretend like, oh, I just, I just am who I am. No, you have a theology, a set of beliefs about who God is, who I am, what I deserve or don't deserve. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus gives you no room for a passive view of him. Not for a logical person, not for a person who actually is saying, look, I'm really open. You have no room for passivity with Jesus. He just, he holds you down. He's got you in a sleeper hold. And that's why most people try and pretend like they're not paying attention. I was that person trying to like wiggle out the side. Oh yeah, I really don't do that religion thing. And you know, spirituality, that'll blow over. Dude, deep down, I was deeply religious like everybody else, to the core of who I was. But Jesus is supreme. If Jesus is who he said he is, then we have to live in response to that. Each one of us are implored. It's an imperative to live in response to that. It's amazing. The death of Jesus was the supreme demonstration of God's love, and the resurrection of Jesus is the supreme demonstration of God's power. That's why I call this Jesus supreme. That death and that resurrection ascension, they supremely demonstrate God's love and his power. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus right now in this place, or if you already have and you're living in response to that, that same power is at work in you and in me and in all who would believe. Now, it's interesting. It talks about his ascension. And in verse 21, it says, far above all the principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. What he's saying is that the ascension of Jesus, Jesus reigns supreme over everything. These principalities and powers and might and dominion, according to Hebrew culture and Hebrew beliefs, there were different rankings of the heavenly angels. And a lot of people, they read that, they just want to get into all the differences of the angels, and all that is speculative. The Bible doesn't tell us all that much, and some of us like to get into that stuff because we dig the mystical stuff. But really, it has nothing to do with the angels it's saying, look, Jesus is supreme. That's what it's saying. Jesus is so far ahead of any demonic or angelic being. He is way above. And notice what it says. All these different gradations of angels, and then it even says, not only in this age, but also in that that's which to come. He's saying not only is Jesus supreme now, but always. So when, it, when push comes to shove, the person who is supreme in the universe is God, and God values his son that much, far above everything. 
That's why it's Jesus supreme. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's why I cannot encourage you enough to put your faith and trust in Jesus and then spend every single moment of your life simply responding to him. Because he's got a name above every name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And every means every. It doesn't mean that, no, not me. I'm the one who's got the opt-out, get out of Jesus free card. It's not that way. Ultimately, every knee bows. And I'm like, look, if ultimately every knee is going to bow, then I'm going to do it right now. If he's the king, then I want to be on his team. If he's going to win the World Series, I'm putting all my money down on him. That's just smart. And not only is it smart, that will absolutely change your life. Everything you really want in life, you'll find in Jesus. Everything that you truly value, you will find not only in Jesus, but as the Spirit of God works through your life. Think about that. Jesus is supreme. That's what we learn in prayer in the midst of the mess. That there's a power at work in us. No matter how much calamity is part of our lives, the resurrection and ascension power of Jesus is at work in his people. Who's his inheritance? It's great power. And then notice verse 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. We learn in these verses that the church is the body and fullness of Jesus. The church is the body and fullness of Jesus. Notice, it says, God put all things under Jesus' feet. Now, that's a direct quote out of Psalm chapter 8, verse 6. He put all things under feet. I want to encourage you later, go read Psalm 8. It begins with the beautiful words, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And saying that everything has been put under the feet, the authority of Jesus. And then it says, and gave him to be the head over all things in the church. Now remember, we've been talking about the church being this inheritance of glory and riches that God has in us. The people of God. Church is not a building. It's a group of people. It's you and I and all who would believe. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the source. He is the one who leads the church. One scholar, Kenneth Weiss, says it this way. The church is not merely an institution ruled by Jesus as president, a kingdom in which he is supreme authority, or a vast company of men of moral sympathy with him. Listen to this. But the church is a society which is in vital connection with him, having the source of its life in him, sustained and directed by his power, the instrument also by which he works. Jesus is real. It's been said that the church is the only hope for humanity. Today we learn that the church is the body and fullness of Jesus Christ. There's a power at work in us no matter how much calamity is a part of our lives. You live based on what you believe and value. You have a theology. 
a set of beliefs about who God is, who you are, what you do and don't deserve. Make sure it's in line with what God says is truth, and you'll make a positive impact for Him. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. In our next installment of the Life is Messy series, Pastor Daniel will be walking us through grace in the mess. This message of God's grace despite us will be transformative and equally engaging for the believer and the seeker. We'll be learning a few things about ourselves that we don't like to admit. We're actually worse off than we realize. The Bible doesn't hold back from expressing the fact that we're all total train wrecks. It also doesn't shy away from the reality that God still loves us isn't finished with us yet. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.